0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here with Ruth, as ever. Hello, Ruth. How are you?
1: Hiya, doing all right. How are you?
0: I'm um, good, thanks. Uh, another another quiet footballing week with uh, with not much for us to uh, to talk about or look ahead to, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just one of those uh, uneventful footballing weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another day at the office. Um, so. <laughs> We are here, uh, ladies and gents, with a jam packed podcast for you today. We're going to talk about the Ryan Giggs situation. Obviously, Rob Page now being confirmed as taking us to the Euros. We are going to talk about the almost hilarious climb down from the European Super League um, which has produced some of the best Twitter content I think I've seen in years. Um, We're going to do the main segment of our show uh, talking about the Women's World Cup draw which is coming up on Friday and also we are going to discuss some Euros updates regarding venues and tickets As I know this will affect a lot of people or has affected a lot of people. Um, So a full show, I think it's fair to say. So, Ruth, um, I think we'll start with the Ryan Giggs situation. I think we're obviously, you know, we don't want to get ourselves in any uh, legal hot water, I think it's safe to say. So, I think with this, I'm just going to read out a few statements that people have said, and we'll kind of discuss it as we go. So, the first one is the statement from the CPS themselves. They said... We have authorised Greater Manchester Police to charge Ryan Giggs with engaging in behaviour which was controlling or coercive and assault occasioning actual bodily harm. A charge of assault by beating relating to a second woman has also been authorised. Mr Giggs will appear at Manchester and Salford Magistrates Court on Wednesday the 28th of April. The CPS made the decision to charge Mr Giggs after reviewing a file of evidence for Greater Manchester Police. Criminal proceedings are active and nothing should be published that could jeopardise the defendant's right to a fair trial. I mean, let's be honest, there's quite a lot to unpack there, isn't there?
1: Yeah, they're um, obviously very serious charges, which can, you know, if found guilty, anyone facing those charges can... There's potentially relatively long custodial sentences. It can be anything from community service to a fine to up to four years, apparently, for coercive and controlling behaviour. So... The the nature of those charges, um, yeah, they're clearly very serious.
0: I think, without wishing to kind of go too kind of deep into the the legalities of things, which I, I think no one kind of you know needs us to do, the word coercive behaviour really struck a chord for me because I googled what that meant in a in a legal sense. Coercive behaviour is an act or a pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, and intimidation of other abu- or other abuse that is used to harm, punish, or frighten their victim. Now, that says to me that, I mean, this is perhaps, you know, this is not the first time that something like this may have happened, given the basis of what that is. And I and I don't want to go down the road of, is that is that the case or is that not the case? But that was that, those are really really strong, powerful words that are being used there, which I think really under underpins the severity of the situation
1: yes, I agree and um, I think there was one of the statements mentioned that that was that coercive controlling behavior there was a three- year window that that was being applied to I'm not sure if that actually came from the CPS or from or from elsewhere but um, So I I don't think we can underestimate um, the legal, you know, the legal weight that that these charges possess. Um,
0: I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down with the legal stuff because obviously, you know, people people we are not legal experts but we're, we're barely football experts so um um <laughs> let's let's try and keep it as light as we can um Giggs responded i will plead not guilty in court and look forward to clearing my name i would like to wish, wish robert page the coaching staff the players and the supporters every success at the euros this summer i thought that was a a no, that, that statement was interesting because of how short it was as much as anything else, I thought it was very abrupt. And he's obviously been told to kind of to say things that way. But I did think the way it was worded of being very curt was quite interesting, I thought.
1: I'm sure that's been written by a lawyer. I, I don't think there's... Um, I don't think there's much opening for, for, for a statement to say anything else, to be honest, in, in that in that sense. Uh, you You are by definition... Going to minimise what you're putting in the in the public domain at the minute, aren't you? If you're if you're in these circumstances,
0: to to round off the uh, the statements round, um, the Football Association of Wales has noted the decision of the Crown Prosecution Service to proceed with charging Ryan Giggs, the man's the men's national team manager. In light of this decision, the FAW can confirm that Robert, Robert Page will assume the role of Cymru Men's National Team Manager for this summer's Euro 2020 tournament and will be assisted by Albert Steuvenberg. An FAW board meeting will be convened to discuss these developments and its impact on the association and the national team. The FAW will not be making any further comment at this current time. Now, talking about things that are interesting in that, I thought that last bit, an FAW board meeting will be convened. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very, very interesting and I thought was very... Again, these things have been well put together, no doubt, but I thought that was very well-worded. It, it definitely states what's going to happen in the summer, but also, of course, points very clearly that, that will. this is not a wait-and-see situation, perhaps, for the FAW. Um,
1: yes and no. I'm not sure I agree that, that the FAW can do much more than wait-and-see at the minute. And without a CEO in place, perhaps the only people that can kind of look at this are a board, yeah, true. As, opposed, as opposed to it being something that the CEO would normally uh, discuss. Um, I mean, clearly, they need to meet, they need to discuss it, they need to come up with a, a, a plan. Um, but it, in fairness, it sounds like they've kind of had multiple plans on, on the table, sitting on the shelf waiting to be implemented as different things have or haven't happened, Um, I was looking at the timeline for his for his contract and when he was appointed in January 2018 it was always framed as a a four-year contract so if you take that literally that would be January 2022 although presumably the contract is actually in place so it ran to at least pass the qualifiers for the World Cup Um, so that takes it to sort of this time next year really at least and given the timeline on court cases at the minute it it might be very probable that that contract runs out before he's there's actually any court case so there's a there's a lot for the faw to think about i think is what i'm saying that the very the very lengthy timeline here has implications that it might not have in normal circumstances. And um, the, I, I'm, I think the FAW up until now have not pushed to get rid of him because they would be on, on the hook for presumably quite a lot of money. And I think that's what's kind of between that and the sort of moral standing of how you should approach a, an employee who is innocent until proven guilty. have have meant the FAW have taken quite a sort of measured and conservative approach to this. And in fairness, I don't think they've had anything else that they could do. I think they've been very fortunate that they've had a substitute team that have come in and have actually transitioned very well and have held things together very well. I think uh, we shouldn't underestimate the pressure that we've put on um, Robert Page in particular. Uh, So, uh, and then the other question is, Giggs is standing and this you know ought he to resign what sort of legally does it say if he resigns you know is it does it intimate something that he doesn't want to intimate I, I, I think I think long story short I don't see much changing in the short term that's what I'm saying
0: yeah I would agree with you I, I think I need to say as well that like, I've was quite critical of the FAW and their communication i do still stand by i think there could have been more communication but i suppose looking at it they have handled it giving given that this is the outcome i suppose this is they have handled it in a in a in a fairly you know good manner i don't think you can say anything else about that so i, I, I felt like i needed to say that just for me but um i think the difficulty here is is that there's the cps must have must be proceeding with this I would say confidently. I think on a, on a lot of other cases, maybe not. But with someone like him, the profile that he has, and I'm sure the lawyers that he has, and I mean, if you want to go down that road, he kept a lot of things secret from the press for a long time, didn't he? So you know, he obviously knows what he's doing in that in that sense. Um, so I, I feel like the CPS must be fairly confident with the outcome of what they think will be the outcome, anyway. Um, if this is the way they've worded this and these are the things they're saying based on the evidence, which, was the, which is the key sentence I thought there, in their statement. So uh, it does seem to me that I think Robert Page will be our manager, not just for the Euros, but for the foreseeable future. And even if he's found not guilty, I just don't see, from a footballing standpoint anyway, that he can come back from this.
1: That's difficult, isn't it? Because if he's found not guilty, he has every right to come back from this. And But I do think the sort of um, public relations element of this does make it difficult for anybody. But equally, I, I mean, I try and hold on to the idea that if someone is found innocent, then we should... We should, as a society, be trying to help them continue with their lives because they've been found innocent. So it's a a very difficult situation.
0: I get that. And I like, principally, I I fully agree with you. But I don't think this is a normal situation for one. But also, Mm -hmm. if you're the new CEO of the FAW, you've just got your job, you've just got your feet under the table, and one of your first actions in the first 12 months you're doing, are are you giving Ryan Giggs a new contract?
1: No, no. I mean, I think, as I was saying, I think... F.A.W. may just be sitting on their hands until this contract runs out. And, and I think his, no contra- sort of his, his contract, quite as I said, could quite probably run out before there's even a court case. So at that point, they are divorced from him, as it were, who um, would in theory have moved on to another manager. I mean, I think they could frame it in the sense that it looks like Robert Page is going to end up managing, as, as you say, not just through the Euros, but through the World Cup qualifying if that goes really well, then you've kind of let Ryan Giggs's tenure lapse because he is actually the manager that's delivering over here. And if it hasn't gone well, you're kind of saying, well, we need a new broom. We need a new team.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you, Robert. You have stood in in an amazing circumstance. Make sure you do right by him. That was something I would say to the FAW. Um, but I think either way, the FAW... W can just sit on their hands
0: and let this contract go. I think that's probably the most likely outcome. But like when like you're saying that there, I I thought the same thing that the contract runs out at the end of the 2022 World Cup, whenever that is for Wales's involvement. So I guess that is the most likely outcome. Um, I still maintain that for the good of the 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 players, the fans, the management, the FAW, Ryan Giggs should walk away regardless of what he perceives that. Um, impact will be on him because i I do think at the moment again regardless of that he is he's putting himself ahead of everyone and i just fundamentally think that's wrong um i think and i and i know he won't walk away so i guess this is a pointless (laughs) road to go down but i do think that he is he should do that i think he's being quite selfish regardless of whether he's guilty or innocent because if he is innocent and i totally agree that he should be entitled to carry on his kind of working life at the moment he is jeopardizing other things for other people because of him and even if it turns out that it's unfairly i still think he should walk away just purely because of the the potential negative impact and uncertainty and whatever else this might have over some of the other squad like if you're gareth bale perhaps let's say you know do you want to commit to another world cup qualifying campaign Knowing that the the Euros campaign after this one, sorry, knowing that you don't know who the manager is. I I mean, I know this is a long way down the road, and I'm being quite an extreme example, I suppose, but I do think that there is a lot of long term planning that always happens in, in these sort of circumstances, and I think Ryan Giggs is putting himself ahead of a lot of that.
1: I don't disagree, but just playing devil's advocate. For a minute, I think if I was Ryan Giggs' lawyer, I would be. I would be saying you can't resign. Don't resign because of the optics that come from it. And I think at that point, when you're in, when you're facing such serious charges, you have to do what your lawyer says.
0: Yeah, like I say, I I understand it, I I really do. But I st- I still don't think it's the right thing. Um, but I agree. I suppose you know, in that situation, you've got to do what you've got to do to clear your name and and to and to make sure everything looks as good as it can be if that's if that's the right the right way to word it um i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add other than uh, the last thing i wanted to say really is that i think it's so important that we all back rob page i think after this podcast which i think it's important we did i think i'm not going to talk about writing gigs again between now and the euros and i think it's important that we focus on rob page that he's the man taking us forward he's done a great job so far and i think whether it's by luck or by judgment this has worked out in as positive a way as it could do for the faw and, and the football team which as i say is the most important thing
1: i agree i think this in some respects just from a legal point of view this has to be something that sits on the shelf until the court cases happened, anyway now doesn't it
0: i mean it is coming around quickly the first date it said there is wednesday so you know it is going to come around quite quickly, I suppose. How long the outcome takes is a different uh, is a different matter. But yeah, that 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 process does start soon. But yeah, I think from now on, we're focusing on Paige here and uh, and what he can bring, and what hopefully will be a, a successful summer. Um, to look at some people who were less than successful this week. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the, the the European Super League I don't think I've ever seen such a big comedy turnaround in my entire life and as I said at the start some of the Twitter content that has come out of this has been absolutely exceptional I think some of the I won't use the betting term the betting brand because I don't like them but um, there's a few of the betting companies have done a, a hilarious things <laughs> around some of this stuff um, and the David Brent uh film i forget what it's called i think the twitter is david brent music um for the film he released a couple of years ago is absolute gold just different clips of the office relating to um the european super league like oh how are liverpool they left you yet yeah? they have left i forgot about that like uh, it's honestly it's so good it's so good so good and i'm glad those horrible greedy bastards all six of them and beyond Think this is a bit of a bit of a shot in the arm that perhaps football clubs needed a bit of a shake into reality.
1: Agreed. I mean, I think the the mobilisation and not just of fans. I think don't get me wrong. I think I think what fans have done is is impressive in these circumstances. But I think we have to be careful that we don't assume that suddenly it means the clubs are noticing fans. I I suspect the fact that the politicians got involved, that UEFA were accusing them of being snakes and liars, that I think we have to be careful that we don't get complacent as fans and suddenly think that our voices are being heard because I don't actually think that there's been any real shift in the hierarchy of these clubs I think they've had their fingers burnt um, they may have their tails between their legs a little bit going forward but I think they did what they did because the owners don't care and I don't fundamentally see that as having changed
0: I think what I find interesting here and I it's, it's a very cynical thing to say but the cynic in me does think that I found it interesting that whilst all of this was going on UEFA rushed through, so to speak, their, their new Champions League format, which starts in 2024, which is bigger teams uh, more teams, sorry, bigger tournament but also it gave them the right to invite in inverted commas, four teams that hadn't qualified into the Champions League Um, Now there's a cynic part, cynical part of me that maybe makes me think, right if you kind of drop out with the european super league we will you know you sign all these bit of papers if there's a year that any of you lads don't qualify we'll invite you and we'll all sign a deal you back down you pull out every all of this goes away we've rushed we've brushed this under the carpet no one realizes or certainly not the headline news it would be and these four invitational places gets kind of pushed through with minimum fuss
1: I, I agree with you. I think I think it's very difficult not to be cynical when it, when it comes to these sorts of matters in football. I don't think it was accidental that suddenly you've got the ESL in what in one corner and UEFA in the other, and yet the big clubs have still probably got something closer to what they wanted, which was it, is this reworked Champions League, which gives them more European games. Bigger TV contract and all but a guaranteed place yeah. in it. Um, I I think we would be naive to think that the ESL. You know, there's a claim that it was leaked, but I think they were kind of ready to go enough that I don't think it was a leak. I think I think their timing was very very deliberate. Yeah. On the eve, on the eve of the the voting of the of the Swiss um, the Swiss model, they have definitely ended up at the end of the week with something closer than the closer to what they wanted than they had seven days ago. Um, I think they what they have done by opening this particular Pandora's box is there's going to be a spotlight on them now. And I don't think they have done anything to help their standing. You look at statements from like Real Madrid and Barca and the like, who said basically, you know, we need to do this or we're going to go, we're going to go under. It's like, well, what gives you the right to mismanage your finances to the point where destroying the history of football is the solution to your <laughs> to inability your to, to, to financially yeah, plan. That's very true. Um, so I think that um, that is what they've perhaps didn't see coming. That that groundswell of opposition, I think, is perhaps the part they didn't see coming. But I, I I still think that, and I said in last week's pod that this field like a kind of Machiavellian gambit to make sure that they got the Swiss model. Um, and I, I would stand by that. I, th- I think they're eminently capable of, of doing that.
0: I mean, will football learn from this is the, the kind of million-dollar question here, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it's it's impossible to to kind of overstate how big a moment this is in lots of different ways. But, you know, I mentioned last week putting in the 50-plus-1 model without changing the finances. I think that is something that I stand by. Whilst it may be messy and un- unlikely, I think that's something that clubs should still look to do or UEFA at least enforce on clubs if they want to participate in certain competitions. Um, I think the reality of the situation is everyone is just kind of sat on their hands or will be sitting on their hands a little bit going, phew, we got away with that one, and almost kind of eyes darting around the room thinking, when's this going to happen again? Because I, I don't see, whilst this should be a a moment where football clubs and the, the, the people who govern football do something to change that this can't happen again I do think ultimately there is this thing where no one knows who's the bigger player here who, no one knows who's more powerful the clubs UEFA Barcelona Messi the player do you know what I mean there's so many layers to this it's so difficult so ultimately my question is do you think football will learn from this
1: I think football has to learn from this I think Um,
0: But will it? That's the thing. Yeah, that's
1: the the question. Um, I I think that the punishment that the 12 teams receive, assuming there's going to be some sort of punishment, I think that will make a statement about the intention of the organisations, whether it's UEFA or the Premier League or whoever, that they use that as a deterrent for future steps. Um, I think if we kind of slide onwards the way we are without any real consequences for these 12 teams, then they're going to feel emboldened just to keep trying things. And I, I don't think it will, I don't think even punishment now will prevent them doing it in the future, but at least it might make them think twice a little bit. Whereas, I think if, we, if there are no consequences to this action, then, then there are no checks and breaks on their behaviour.
0: I think for me, that's the worry here is that I don't think there will be a consequence because, like I said, it's that worrying thing. Everyone's eyes darting around the room of, well, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? Well, I think, I'll tell you what, I think we, if we uh, just sit on our hands here, we might get away with this. Um, like it, it, it feels a bit like that to me. I'm not sure what the punishment will be. I'm not sure there will be a, a, a notable one, other than a "don't do it again" sort of thing. I mean, how do? You, what do you think punishment wise would be appropriate?
1: Personally, I'd throw the book at them, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> um, I think the Premier League has to do something with the six teams involved. I think UEFA has to do something with them collectively. Uh, the difficulty, of course, is that any any consequence, whether it's a fine or it's docking points or it's you know you have you're not in next year's Champions League or whatever it might be, people will always say, "Oh, but you're punishing the players and you're punishing the fans." The problem is any action you take against a football team is going to punish the players and the fans. Um, it's very clear that it's the owners that were the drivers of this. So I I think my preference would be to, for someone to get creative and do something about them as owners. I don't know whether that means that you can actually force I don't think you can force someone to give up ownership of an organisation. That's the problem. But the difficulty is finding something that should be focused on the people that are actually guilty in this process. Um, I think there are some lessons to learn in terms of what what criteria we have to judge ownership. I mean, it's clear that the existing criteria are are, are nothing. So I, I think we've got to go down the route of strengthening what ownership of a football team means in terms of people's um, appropriateness, you know, the the, the appropriate checks at the minute just clearly aren't of the right nature. So I think that definitely needs changing. But I think the organisations such as the Premier League and UEFA, all they can do is things like fines and dot points and stop people, let's say, being in next year's Champions League. There, There isn't really much else they can do, and I can understand people's feelings that that's, that's a consequence to the players and a consequence to the fans, but I, but I think those are the only things that are open. I think
0: there's two things here. One, just to go back to what you said a second ago, I think the thing, I've said this for a while, and I, I'm, I'm sure I said it on here a while back, was, and I know it's unlikely, but what should happen here is that the Premier League at least or UEFA, who are a massive financial institution, let's not forget that, should ensure that every new person who buys a football club, and they should negotiate with people who've owned football clubs for a long time, should have some sort of clause in every contract that's mandatory to the go-in, which says, if you break this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, which we believe is not um, in the best interest of the football club, it's community, the community it serves, blah, 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 blah we reserve the right to take temporary ownership away from this football club from you. And I appreciate that that will limit the pool of people who will be interested in buying a football club. But I think that's the point. And I know it's unrealistic, and I know all of these things, but we're at the point now where unrealistic is the norm. It is unrealistic to suggest that you can set up a breakaway league with with teams who don't get relegated. That's unrealistic, but yet it could have happened you know, nothing about this is realistic when, you know, footballers are earning absurd sums of money and, and people are being transferred for absurd sums of money. Nothing is, is unrealistic anymore. You know, it's not unrealistic that someone spends five hundred million euros or whatever on a football player at some point in the near future which which tells you everything. So things not being realistic I don't think is a, is a thing anymore. I think football has gone through that. That bubble has burst. Lack of realism is in fact the norm. Um to go back to what you said about players and fans and stuff like this, I, I I think there's one thing that I do really think, and I'm guilty of it, and I'm people will sit at home and say they're not. And I mentioned this on the last week's pod, but I, I'll say the same thing in a slightly different way. I hated Leeds last week, mocking all the other teams, when not so long ago, they were doing everything they could to rescue money after they had a nightmare themselves they weren't thinking of the fans when they were selling all their players and they were in league one you know i I hate that sort of thing because i have no doubt that if the leeds owners have been asked if they want to be a part of it they would have bitten the ASL's hand off in the same way i'm not digging out leeds i have there's no doubt in my mind that if mike ashley had been part of it someone would have he would have he would have bitten someone's hand off to be a part of it as well i think the difficulty here is right you say don't you know this impacts the fans and the players yeah it does but uh, i think everyone needs to wake up a little bit here you know barcelona arguably the biggest sports institution on the planet a 700 and something in debt 700 and something million in debt if they and the success they have, and the stadium they have, and the players they have, and the commercial viability that they have, if they are that far in debt, everyone else is screwed. There's no, there's no other way of looking at that. And football fans, myself included, need to, of Premier League clubs, or of, of, of kind of top fight clubs anyway, need to have a look in the mirror a little bit as well. Because Newcastle signed Joe Linton, for example, God bless him. I'm sure he's a lovely man. He's really bad at football. But he was bought because Newcastle fans, myself included, have been putting pressure, pressure, pressure on the owner. You need to break our transfer record. We're miles behind everyone else. Go and spend big money on a player. And in the end, he relented and did it. Obviously, he knows nothing about football. And completely ignored Rafa Benitez. And, and you know... As is very Mike Ashley, he chose the bargain bucket basement uh, for, for where he found his players, and it, and it shows. My point is is that myself and other fans need to stop that thing because it just inflates everything. In the same way that fans uh, that, that players sorry, also need to have an awareness, and I'm not for a moment suggesting you walk into a meeting and say, right, I know you're going to sign me, I know I'm signing a new contract, but I don't want a pay rise. I, I, I'd not, I'd like, and that's unrealistic. But I think they need to have in the back of their mind from now on: if I'm asking for four hundred grand a week, or whatever, and their players probably earning more than that, where does that come from? Because all the players can have, you know, can be up in arms. There are clubs out there whose percentage of their turnover is that just goes on wages is more than their income in total. Like when you actually think about that that is absolutely outrageous. There are clubs in the championship who 150% of their turnover is wages. All of the money they earn and half again are wages. Like when you think about it in that terms, and this is not all on players, it's not all on fans, but at some point, someone does need to have some sense of realism and say like, I am part of this problem as well. I recognize me personally that I am, I, am, I can see that I could have been part of that problem. I've stopped buying Newcastle shirts a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think I've bought anything new Newcastle related for a long time. but so that's my kind of silent protest if you like. I'm not saying I'm a hero you know I don't wanna I don't want to pat on the back. but what I'm saying is I, I do think that fans do need to realize that they are part of the problem. Players need to realize they are part of the problem and they are not their problem. Their problem is the greedy man at the top. But to pay the greedy man at the top, you need a lot of money, and to get to that point, you need to have a lot of people in, kind of who are in, invested in that, and that includes the players and and fans. So when it comes to finding points, uh, p- finding the club's points and stuff in their in their domestic leagues, I do think it's something that needs to be looked at because I think it's the only thing that will give everyone some kind of reality check. And equally, I do think that. Sorry, I'm ranting here. I'm rambling. Um, I, I do think that. is the only thing that actually has an impact as well because you can find the owners they don't care they're billionaires unless you're going to chart find them a a billion euros i don't think the fine it matters and then everything else you know like banning them from the champions league that matters because it stops them getting the players they want docking them points that matters because that stops them getting in the Champions League it stops them getting the players they want it stops them earning the money that's the stuff that matters and I know it's unfortunate but if you're part of a football club as a fan or a player or whatever you are part of a team it's the same as a Formula One driver you can't if if Lewis Hamilton crashes the car you know the mechanic All right, I feel bad for him but it's not you know it's just one of those things you're part of a team in the same way that if the mechanic doesn't fit the tyre properly and it falls off no one's going oh, oh Paul Lewis Hamilton it doesn't matter you're part of a team it, and, that, and that is so still true of this situation that if you're part of a football club you are part of a team people are going to make decisions you don't like and you have to deal with it Joe Linton in my case being the perfect example and and I do think that hopefully I will stop my rant now that this should be a moment of reflection for everyone in football because there is nothing that is unfair about any punishment that's given out in my opinion
1: Yeah, I mean, I would like to see a hefty fine, Premier League points docked, exclusion from the Champions League, all of the above, basically. i mean, even hoping PSG win this year's tournament. Um, (laughs) So I think... I, I don't think there's a way to, unfortunately, to focus punishment where it should be, which is on the owners. I think what organizations need to do going forward is how what can we put in place that makes this less and less likely to happen again um i think what you're saying about everybody's part of the team is true but it's clear that the owners in these cases seem to feel that they're above the team that 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 they are independent of the team in that sense so they can make decisions for but not with the team and i i think that's perhaps where we need to look at the big yeah. picture is is making sure that people do not have these this unilateral power about a team going forward um so i think the I, I don't disagree with you dave i think the wider implications are huge i think it's an opportunity for us to stop and think i think it, it there was some very pointed comments on social media this week about we've raised this much furore about some billionaires bis- misbehaving, but we can't raise this sort of furore about racial abuse or sexist abuse of female players. And, you know, what, what are we doing as a, as a body, as, as a, as a, a body of football fans um, to address the wider issues in football? If this, if this particular thing can get as this agitated, then what does it say about us that we're not behaving in the same way? For example, when it comes to racial abuse, no, that's I know really that I um, it, the the football league, I presume, with the Premier League as well, today announced that they're doing a, a media black, social media blackout next yeah. weekend. Um, which is great. That's a step. I mean, I was disappointed when Swansea did their blackout for a week; only Birmingham and Rangers joined them. But I think this is a huge step forward. That. All of the all of the um, teams in the in the English pyramid are going to are going to come off for a weekend. I think that's a a really important statement, and I think um, hopefully it's a sign that we're trying to move things forward. I think we've got to be careful that we don't think that somehow social media is the root cause of these issues. It's people's behaviour is the root cause of yeah, these issues. True. Whether you're looking at billionaires in their ivory towers or some idiot spewing racial abuse yeah. it's about people's behavior and but we have to we have to keep moving it forward we have to keep doing things so i'm pleased to see this as a step
0: no i i totally agree with what you've said there ruth and uh it's uh it's good to see that social media is, is taking a stand on that and hopefully um this will start to bring to to the end of some of the abuse and the, the, the fact that these clubs are Doing something, I think, is a big is a big part of that. Um, to look uh, at some actual football uh, stuff now, which is novel, um, <laughs> I think it's important that we talk about the Wales women. Uh, well, the women's World Cup qualifiers draw, which is coming up on Friday. Obviously, the women are participating in that. Uh, the Wales team are participating in that. Um, there's two things I want to raise for Ruth. First of all, is for the sake of asking a silly question, how important it is it do you think that we are in pot two?
1: Well, it's pretty crucial. Um, all of the second place finishers um, are going into playoffs. Rather convoluted playoffs. We might come back to that. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, you think something is complicated, but we'll, let's we'll deal with that in a minute. But no, I think it's I think it's a huge plus that we're we're in. Uh, in pot two, there's obviously some some good teams in um, in pot three, and the draw. You know there are there are lots of questions around the draw. Pot three is interesting because the the discrepancy between the team at the top of pot three, which is the Czech Republic, and the bottom, which is Northern Ireland, that differential is the biggest of any of the pots. So, if we get someone at the lower end of pot three, that is a huge advantage for us over someone like the Czechs or the Ukraine who are were at the upper end. And I I know we've talked before about how the ranking in the women's game can be a little um, a little woolly, and it's perhaps not not as easy to uh, to read things things into it as it as it might be in the men in the men's game, but. Um, I, I do think it's really, well, it's exciting that we're in pot two because that's, that's an immediate advantage. Because you can't pretend
0: it isn't. I, I also think there's a lot of teams around there, especially in pot three and pot one, obviously. Whilst we may be the bottom ranked team, so to speak, in pot two, um, I don't think there's many who'd be thinking, oh, I bloody hope we get Wales from that. You know, I think we've got enough quality players in our team that everyone would think, oh, I'd rather give them a miss. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, but in fairness, I think you could probably think of that of most of the pot two teams. There's, you know, there's some good teams in there. Scotland are in the middle of that yeah. ranking, for example. Um, but given how we played against Denmark, uh, you know, we've got to fancy our chances against it. Obviously, it depends on the draw, but some of those pot one teams, we should fancy our chances against them.
0: I think, yeah, I, I think so. I think we've basically got to try and avoid Netherlands, Germany, England, France. I mm-hmm. think that would be the big ones to avoid. I also think we should try and avoid Spain. Um, they have had a fairly remarkable run of late, they've only lost twice in 18 months. To France and the USA they recently beat the Netherlands as well in the most recent games um, albeit friendly but they still beat them so I, I do think they might be another ones that we might think we could do without playing them but do you know I'd, I'd play Denmark again based on how we played them the other day the Italians love shipping a few goals in we're capable of beating the Norwegians based on, on what we saw in the last tournament equally Sweden aren't quite the, the team they were although they do have some excellent players so you know, uh, there's definitely teams in there, I think, if they came out of the hat, I'd be very happy.
1: Yeah, got to agree with that. I think that I'm, I'm with you as, as much fun as it might be to have some games in the Netherlands. I think <laughs> I'd like to avoid <laughs> avoid them. Um, I, it's, it's, in that respect, it's kind of like you, what what you'd expect. You'd rather draw someone from the bottom part of the pot than the top part of the pot, but it is what it is. Um, and these things will usually even out. Um, Very encouraging to actually just see the overall numbers of teams involved. 51 different teams competing, which is, you know, when you consider the men's is 55, that's a very good statement about women's football that we're up to 51 teams competing.
0: Yeah, um, I saw Andorra, Gibraltar, Liechtenstein, San Marino haven't put a team in. Armenia and Bulgaria, their ranking coefficient is, like they don't have a, a, a place and their coefficient is zero. So, I am assuming that they are new teams, not new teams, sorry, teams who have never played in a in an official tournament before. Is that right?
1: I, I mean, you presume so. I'm, I'm looking at the same data as you, but yeah, I would presume so.
0: Um, to look at, but just go back to part three briefly, um, I think the Czech Republic are top of that, but uh, uh, we, we drew with them recently, not well, I say recently, probably about two years or so ago now. It seems recently with all the crap that's gone on. U- Ukraine, I would say, after seeing them play against Northern Ireland, I watched the second match. They are very gettable, they look very slow. Um, Republic of Ireland, equally, are on a downward trajectory in terms of rankings. Um, Northern Ireland, ironically, are at the bottom of that pot. Probably the team I would want to avoid most in that pot, if I'm honest
1: interesting one i I don't know part of me is like could we get a bit of revenge and then that's always a dangerous set of (laughs) sort of dangerous mental state isn't it um but they're clearly on a roll at the minute and that the way they went at the ukrainians was very impressive so i agreed i think it's a difficult pot to pick because um Your your momentum at the time is actually what's more important, isn't it? And although Northern Ireland are at the bottom of the list, they've clearly got the momentum at the minute.
0: I found an interesting thing on the the FIFA website about this and the rankings and stuff like that, and kind of who's in form. If you look at Northern Ireland, they have gained one FIFA coefficient point, if that's the right (laughs) way to say it, of late. Everyone else, I think with the exception of the Portuguese and the Czechs have lost points. Now, the Portuguese are in our pot. So the Czech Republic are the only team, apart from Northern Ireland, who are on an upward trajectory, and the Czechs are on zero. So everyone else has gone downwards in terms of their points, rankings, whatever, with the exception of Northern Ireland, who've gone up, and the Czech Republic have stayed the same. So... The other thing that that did make me think about this pot is there are a lot of teams who are definitely not in form, um, mm-hmm. relatively speaking.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that. I mean, I hadn't looked at that particular data, but that agrees with the feeling that the momentum is with that the Northern Irish at the minute, isn't it? Um, yeah.
0: Looking at pot four, Azerbaijan are a fairly new team. Um, they're, they're at the bottom of that little pot. So in terms of. Uh, Uh, just the the pure opposition that they they would appear to be the team to to face in pot four. With that said, it's a long trip I don't think we want that. Plus if I'm being open I quite fancy a Wales away women's trip to Croatia or Greece Uh, I would be more than happy with either of those two uh, little turns of it. If we could have some you know the March games, if they could be in Greece or Croatia, I think that would be quite nice
1: (laughs) So that's that's your criteria isn't it where you fa- where you fancy in a way game
0: I do think in these draws half of the battle in the first pot you want to avoid your big names in the third pot like for the men and the women of late you want to avoid the kind of those tricky sort of your bosnias of this world mm-hmm. and I think from pot 4 onwards I always look at it of we should be beating whoever we play in that pot in a footballing sense so mm-hmm. we can at least try and go somewhere warm as a consequence. It's <laughs> always my outlook on these sort of things. So I see no reason to change that for the women's games. So, yeah, I, I quite fancy uh, Greece or Croatia. I've been to Croatia before. It's absolutely beautiful. So I'd, I'd happily go there again. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously Greece at a, you know, at a cold time of year in the Netherlands and a warmer time of year there would be lovely. Um, so I don't think really, like, my ultimate point what I'm trying to say there is I'm more bothered about the trip than the team. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I'm sure. I'm sure the girls appreciate
0: <laughs> that. Do you not think whoever we play in that in that group, we should be beating? Really, shouldn't we?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if we're not if we're not taking six points from pot four games, pot five games, and pot six games, then we're not we're not going to end up second. So we've got to go in with that mentality.
0: Um, have you got any kind of pr- preference? I just there?
1: wanted to mention the actual convoluted nature of the of the playoffs because you. Th- you think this is complicated? Whoa! What, so, um, what I
0: just like to point out is that it took us—I would say—the thick end of six months to get our heads around how the Nations League worked. Yes. Comparatively speaking, this is like learning to count to five. That—that <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, sorry, that sorry was learning to count to five compared yeah. to this. Compared to this, this is the, bonkers. It's
1: it's absolutely mental. So. Obviously, there are nine groups, which is what's benefited us because we've ended up as the 18th team, and hence we've just slid into part two. So, of those nine groups, everybody who finishes first automatically goes through. Yay. Everybody who finishes second goes into a playoff, and then it gets really complicated. So, so. <laughs> those nine teams, those nine teams are being split into a group of 6 and a group of 3 based on rankings and how well you have how well you have done as a second place team so the top 3 are can kind of like just put them in the corner for a minute they're the like they're like the good guys and the other 6 will play off each other so the other 6 so position 4 through 9 as it were in the rankings they play each other then the winners from those games play the three teams that
0: you've just sat in the corner for a minute. Right. Can I just stop okay. you? One, can I just stop you one sec, Ruth? Just to, I'm going to yeah. let everyone have a ch- everyone at home have a chance to either pull over their car if they're listening to this, or <laughs> if you're doing this at home, if you just want to grab a pen and paper, um, now would be a good time. <laughs> the big thing that I think is worth pointing out before we go on is that every second placed team, unlike when we came second to England. Mm-hmm is guaranteed a spot in the playoffs whether you want that as you'll in some circumstances <laughs> play another 3000 games is a, is a second is a secondary issue yes. but in the first instance sorry just to wrap up there so if so you've got the three best runners up against the three winners of the first round of playoff games is eventually what happens right
1: yes and then from there So you've you've had like round one. So you've taken six of the teams down to three and then you've had round two where you've taken those three with the top three and you've round you've played those and you've now you've got it down to three teams that have got through this little sort of playoff thing. The two best of those three are going to the World
0: Cup. Now I just got to stop you again there. It's not just the two best of how you've done in the qualifier, in the in the in the playoffs. It's how you've done through the whole qualifiers. Exactly. That's how they're ranking you. So you've won potentially a semi and a final, inverted commas. You're down to three, and then you're ranked based on how you've played through the entire qualifiers so far, unless you're in the group that has unless you're in a group sorry that has six teams in which case your result against the sixth placed team is gets discounted out. i honestly and when i read this i could not believe <laughs> i want to know i want to know right what were the ideas that they threw away what were the ideas <laughs> where the someone someone cares. just went, that is <laughs> mental, Jonathan. I don't know where you've come up with that. Absolutely not. Like, I don't know why okay. Jonathan there. But anyway, sorry,
1: you carry on. That was all right. So we've got, so, so far, two teams that have won those playoff rounds are going to the World Cup. The third team.
0: Oh, this is my favourite bit.
1: This is the favourite bit. The third team. So they've won their playoff Scenario, but they are ranked third of the three teams that have won their playoff scenarios. They're going off to Australia and New Zealand for a mini tournament (laughs) where, where they'll be playing from equivalent teams from different, you know, from CONCACAF and from the African Federation and all that, you know. And ultimately, there are three more places available from this mini tournament. Down in Australia and New Zealand. So I, I just want I'm to stop you one gonna, more. I'm step. not even going to ta- start to talk about the seeding and stuff for that because that that's a whole different mess. But so ultimately, you, you you could make you could make the playoffs as a second place team by winning one game, depending on your seeding, or you could win one, two. It could take four games. No.
0: For you to make it. No. See, I uh, the way I read it is, bef- I think you're right in that you can play one game or two games, but both of those games are held over one leg, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah. So you can come third in that, and then you go to the tournament which is 10 teams split into three groups. Three groups, yeah. So you could potentially three play three done. more games. If you win that, then you go through. But it is done. I, again, I won't go through everything, but because of the odd nature of the team, of the number of teams, so for example, yeah. a three and a three and a four, depending on the group you've drawn in this in, in what they call the Intercontinental Confederation <laughs> Playoffs, catchy, um, they <laughs> are... It it changes how the setup of how you get through Mm -hmm. works. So there is a world, and it would be very Wales, for us to get to the playoffs, win the playoffs, but then, because of some weird quirk of fate, come third in the playoffs, and then have to go to this tournament. Now, just to give you reference, first of all, you obviously have to go to Australia in New Zealand ahead of the World Cup. I feel like this, like, was it uh, what was it, um, Bullseye that used to do that thing? Like, here's what you could have won. Imagine you fly all the way to Australia of New Zealand and you might be staying there for ages for the World Cup and then you play three more games and um, Bully goes, take them back, boys, and (laughs) your prize goes, someone draws the velvety curtain and you just stood there with Jim Bowen. That is the... TV equivalent of what could feasibly happen here so if you get through this there's only one UEFA slot to get into this there's one for Oceania two for South America two for Central America and the Caribbean two for Africa and two for Asia I mean the one thing I'll say is we are laughing and it is and it is funny to be fair but what I will say is can you imagine the uproar if this was in the men's game because fundamentally this is done so that each group can be a four-team group because that so that New Zealand and Australia can slot into some of the other games and play friendlies kind of around these games as well so you could also be playing friendlies against that uh, other than the playoffs as well if can you imagine if this had been dreamed up for the men's game, it would there would be genuine uproar, and that is the thing whilst we're laughing because, like I say, it is funny. Can you imagine if this happened in the men's game? like people would kick off?
1: Agreed. I mean that's I mean I don't know what to say it's as it's as convoluted as you can possibly imagine. obviously, in the short term. We, we've got to work on the basis that if you're second in your group, you're getting a playoff place and then the rest will kind of fall out in the wash. Um, but it is, it is unfathomable how this feels like a good scenario to sort this out. Cause they're going to have to play this, this trip to Australia and New Zealand is going to be in one of the international windows, You know, so it could be, I don't know, next March, let's say. I'm I'm not sure what the exact dates are. I don't think they've set them, actually. Um, That you. You have to make this trip in a really tight window, play the games, as you said, everything can be hinging on it. yeah, that's just uh oh, it's not it's a it's a it's a really big ask.
0: It's what well, I will call Ruth absolutely farcical. Um which <laughs> uh, I think is very UEFA and FIFA. I think uh I can I c I can almost feel that Wales will come second and, and will end up the third team of that tournament <laughs> and, and end up going like I can I can s I can feel it. I can see it happening. The the, the flip side to all this what I will say is a lot of this does depend on the draw as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a, in a group, let's say, of the Netherlands, for argument's sake, right? They're the second best, I think, or first ranked European team. If you're in this group, there is a legitimate chance that a team like Netherlands could absolutely destroy everyone, Wales included, in that group, right? So you could end up with, let's say, we lose 3-0 twice, for argument's sake, like we did to the Canadians that's a minus six goal difference if you're in a group with let's say Denmark okay maybe you lose both games to them but you may only lose by two goals so your goal difference is massively impacted you may even you know be in the second the second pot and nick a point off Denmark in Italy or, or Italy sorry and so the disparity between how this plays out is insane to me
1: yeah uh, but that's the nature of these you know the nature of pots and, and qualifying tournaments i think it's um it you're always going to have that potential impact um i mean we were talking about it weren't we when we when we drew belgium and you know the fact that, that if they hammer that, talking about the men's team now when we drew belgium if they hammer some of the weaker teams in our in our in our group, we've got no hope of keeping up with them from a goal difference, and yeah, I think that's yeah. you know that's always that's always going to be a, a, a consequence and a problem problem of qualifying just by its nature.
0: No, I agree. Yes, I mean we could go on about this forever because it is absolutely <laughs> insane, and the and the ifs and buts and maybe's are honestly I can't even like the the amount of if da 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 happens like in on the on the <laughs> articles about it are hilarious. Like it's I would actually suggest. Going even to, even if you dig it out on wikipedia the explanation of it you need you know ruth thankfully is much more intelligent than me so she's probably got a better handle on this than me but i had i had to have a good 20 minute sit down um and i needed at least 3 beers afterwards just to, just to kind of get through it it is unbelievable um realistically ruth um just to say mm. it is being streamed um on uefa.com it starts at 12:30 uk time uh, if you're interested in watching it um if I'm gonna press you, who is your your dream draw from pot one and pot three?
1: I would take Denmark because I think I feel like we know what we're doing there. But I'm with I'm with you. I think if it was somewhere in the someone in the lower half of pot one, um, I think I'd be ultimately comfortable with that. Um, probably less choosy with pot three. Actually, I think what you were saying about the Northern Irish and it does feel like they have some momentum right now. And although part of me is kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm a vengeful person. Part of me would like to get some revenge, but (laughs) I I think we might be better. We might be better not taking them on because of, um, because of the momentum they have at the minute. Please let's not draw the Republic of Ireland because (laughs) we just, it's just like it. Well, it's just the Republic of Ireland again, isn't it? Um, so i think to be honest i don't know enough about slovenian romanian serbian or bosnian herzegovinian women's football to really say oh you know this one but but again i think i think there's um there's enough teams in pot 3 who are regrouping and you know re uh, reevaluating what they are as an international team that that there's a few quite unsettled teams there. So I'm less, I'm actually quite not as choosy about pot three as I might've been.
0: I mean, for me, I, I, the the big to avoid is the Czech Republic. I think they're a, they're a good side. And I Mm. think to, to avoid the Northern Irish, I just think they're one of few teams on the up in that pot. They're going to be absolutely full of it after obviously the euros and everything else, the bastards. So um, I think, we should avoid them i agree with you i would like to to beat them but i think i'd avoid them and i'd avoid like you said the republic of ireland just on principle ukraine are the one for me i think i would take there i I agree with you i've done some look looking through the results of some of the others bosnia are a very fairly hit and miss um but i've always feel like that's a kind of tricky type of place to go and get a result so Mm -hmm. um it's a bit hit and miss with a lot of them but like i say i would take ukraine uh tomorrow if you offered me them I agree about the Danes we can I think we can they're gettable possibly should have won that match the other day mm-hmm. Um so I would I would say the Danes and after that I want Greece Cyprus and Luxembourg are my are my uh, holiday destinations of choice after that um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, oh, Malta is the other one. I don't know if you've ever been to Valletta, but I'm told Valletta is lovely. So uh, Malta is high on my priorities list. So if anyone from UEFA is listening, I know you are fond of a brown paper envelope. So if you do fancy uh, 20 euros uh, to put the, uh, the Wales and the Malt- Maltese balls together, um, I'd, uh, I would consider sending you 20 euros. So get in touch at Colemans underscore dream on twitter so um good luck to to everyone involved for that on friday we'll be covering that obviously next week um so yeah good luck good luck to everyone involved there the last thing we wanted to talk about was a little bit of an update with the euros ruth because um dublin and bilbao are now out
1: Yes, I mean. Oh, sorry, uh, I I'm, can playing was...
0: interrupt. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, I had a great gag lined up there, but because I'm on my fourth beer, I forgot it. What I wanted to see. Okay, was,
1: well, t- let's just make a note of the time. You can ditch this easy
0: enough. <laughs> um, it's no longer Dublin, and they have, and the Spanish have bill bowed out. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's cheesy bad joke, even by your standards. Oh, I
0: was really happy. I was really happy with myself when I came up with that. <laughs> Fairly, Oh dear.
1: Well, I mean, you can anyway, To be on. honest, you can't. You can't. You can't blame either city for just yeah. like throwing their hands up and saying we've had enough of this. Um, I'm I'm glad that at least in Bilbao's case, they've managed to find a, a, an option in in Spain because that's you know for the for the teams involved in that. Location as much as as anything. You got a feel for the teams that would have, have been planning to play in Dublin that are now going to end up in Saint Petersburg because that's a rather different, yeah. rather different kettle of fish. Um, I we I mean it's difficult to know whether these teams these locations said no to UEFA or UEFA said no to the locations. You know, did those locations come back with a okay we can have fifteen percent capacity and UEFA said. don't think so we want at least 30 and moved moved locations or whether genuinely it was the cities themselves that said we're just you know we're not going down this route um
0: i would say the again
1: the machiavellian sort of agenda would be that uefa pulled it because they didn't get the ticket uh, requirements that they were looking for the the other thing that came out of that same email was the the news about the follow my team tickets. Um, I thought it was really interesting that one that was kind of buried at the bottom of that email. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm sure people that have tickets. I mean, you, you've been. I know you've been communicating with some people on Twitter, but people who actually have those tickets have had additional emails. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Yeah, they've all been emailed and told they will be refunded, but. Even with that said, there are still people I've spoken to today who have followed my team tickets who still haven't been contacted.
1: Okay. Because I have semi-final and final tickets, but they're being treated differently, I gather. Is that right?
0: From what I can see, what I've read, the people I've spoken to, those conditional tickets for the semi and the final, because I have those as well, they are being continued. The, the the difference is, they the reason they've changed the Find My Team Follow my team thing is because you could come first in your group or second or come third, and you don't know where you're going for Mm -hmm. the last sixteen quarterfinal uh, games. So the difference being is that both semis and the final are in Wembley. So if you have that ticket, you are at least guaranteed. You know that you're going to Wembley, whereas with the others they are that the venues aren't confirmed the again the cynic in me thinks that the reason they've done this is because they know now they can resell tickets mm-hmm. to locals and they are going to guarantee attendance of fans and therefore money and therefore merchandise and therefore people you know eating and drinking at the ground so i think that is the reality behind this decision
1: yes i mean i thought it was rich their phrasing that you know, considering the location for most knockout matches is unknown until completion of the group stage, blah de blah, blah blah Well, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And so who's it was, that? It was fine to leave people in a position where the last group game is now on the 23rd. Our, our last group game is the 20th, but the last actual group game is the 23rd of June. And the first game involving a team that... Finishes third is the twenty seventh. Right. So in that scenario, there is a team heading for Sevilla, where they're going to have a four day window. Now it just smacks of UEFA's arrogance that that four day window. It was fine for fans to be expected to sort that out <laughs> yeah. pre COVID. You know, pre COVID. That was that was just where we were. We were expected to manage that i mean it was bad enough in in france in 2016 like are we you know we we at least knew we were going to paris but the northern irish didn't know they were going to paris until about 3 or 4 days before that game yeah true at least at least folks knew they were going to france you know like now you could be going everywhere from seville to bucharest to glasgow if you're a third place team Yeah. Um, so I think I mean I think it's another one where the cynic in me is like finally UEFA finally you see that giving fans four days notice of where they're meant to be travelling in Europe might actually be a problem (laughs) and and of course they're able to hook it onto Covid as the reason not we've organised a shit tournament
0: Well, it must be bad if Ruth is swearing, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) then, you know, now now it's real. Um, No, I I totally agree. I think the only thing I will say uh, back to that is, if Wales comes second in the group, uh, when I was kind of looking through the locations and the variants, um, if we come second in the group, we will play our last 16 game in Amsterdam, so all these tickets being returned and refunded <laughs> may actually mean <laughs> I've got half a chance to go to Amsterdam for the last 16 game. So, whilst it's not in everyone's best interest, I have a chance of benefiting. So, you know, very much swings and roundabouts. I think is uh, is the best way to look at it. No, I I, I agree. I think it's a mess, but it, we've known this from the start. I think the the last thing I want to say in it is it's I feel a little bit like this has had the fun taken out of it to an extent for me. I'm I'm going to enjoy the tournament when it's on. Um, I'll have a great couple of weeks. I'm sure we all will. And I'm sure when the games kick off, we'll be thinking about w- how far we can go and all this other stuff. But I felt like the build-up in France, a lot of the fun was, where are you going? Have you got a ticket? I'm going here. I'm staying in this place. Or I'm getting a train from there. Or I'm flying here. And a lot of that fun has gone now because of all the this and the way that it's been dealt with. And I think that's such a shame because I do think that's half the fun for fans. I remember when this all came out and. You know i we i was living in america you still are and i was going to fly from boston to rome for that weekend and i'd planned it and i'd be you know frantic text my mate and booking flights and accommodation and you've got this i've got there he's coming too fine he can sleep on the floor if he chucks us 20 quid like that was part of the fun um mm-hmm. and i feel like all of that has kind of evaporated a little bit now and like i say i know when the tournament starts it'll be great but in the short term i feel like there is something something missing
1: yeah i mean i i think covid is ensuring that this is going to be a very different tournament but i also i also think the organisation of it has would have ensured it would be a very different tournament anyway um, and i think hopefully uefa might have learned some some lessons from, from this um, the 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 joy and the anticipation in this is has gone really, hasn't it? There isn't. There isn't. I mean, we're looking forward to watching games on the telly. Yeah, is what it's amounting to. Yeah, and that isn't what this is about. And I feel very. I feel very sad for country like North Macedonia is the one that sticks out for me, because like, it's kind of their equivalent of twenty sixteen was for us, isn't it? Yeah, true. And I. I feel hugely for, the, for those supporters that they won't be able to have an experience anything like that we did in, in 2016. And there's other countries that fall into into that category as well. But um, I agree with you there's there's no, there's no that sort of the anticipation and the dreaming and the planning, like the plan and we've got a campsite here, we've got a sheet here where, you know, we'll have to sleep on the train station this night. You know, All of that sort of anticipation, getting, getting your friends together, who's coming for this, who's coming for that, who, you know, all that, all of that excitement has gone out of the window, hasn't it? And I, I'm, I'm glad for the folks that are going to be able to go to Baku because they will at least have a small measure, a small measure of this. And I, I think good on them for sticking with it and, and, uh, you know, and committing and, and doing that and and hopefully they'll have a, a you know a great week or so in in, in Baku at least. Um, but I do think it's hopefully this is kind of a shot across the bows for you wafer that you you just something that might look adventurous and exciting on paper can can just be a you know a house of cards in the end. It's you know there's a reason that we have Evolved tournaments that tend to be in a country and and you know group stages in a location and that sort of thing. There's a there's a reason that the tournaments have kind of evolved in that way because it works a whole lot better than this.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It's uh, it's a shame, but hopefully, like you say, people enjoy Baku. I am still hanging on to my Rome Rome ticket. I think I've come to the conclusion of I'm gonna just keep trying and hoping and you know if it costs me a few when I don't get there in the end well you know it is what it is but at least I've tried and in the same way that you never know it could work out and I could be I could be one of the few in Rome so um, you never know that is my uh, that is my outlook on it so I'm trying to stay positive with that and looking forward to hopefully hopefully winning the tournament let's be honest that's the uh, that's the the plan Um, ladies and gentlemen I also I also I think
1: just one last little thing Dave on this is Uefa again have just sort of passed it back to the associations. Like you know, your tickets will be distributed by right, so they create this huge mess, yeah. and then anticipate that the associations will work out how the hell they're going to get tickets to people. And I think, um, I think if I was, I'm not quite sure what the role is at the FAW that hand, you know, who per se kind of handles the liaison with Uefa on these sorts of matters, but I would I would be cheesed off the way that the goalposts keep changing and I know COVID's had a factor in that but it feels like it's changing with every damn email that we get off them.
0: Yeah and I think you know like you say I think a lot of this is just they're just hoping for the best aren't they they're just kind of scrambling to save it and they're not doing a particularly good job. Um, Ladies and gentlemen we've talked for quite a while now so we will stop and let you enjoy your day. Um,
1: Can I I just say thank you to the folks that have taken the time to fill in the, the survey Dave that's appreciated. Um, if anyone else would would like to do the survey where we're trying to gather some information off, off folks about what they're looking for, for coverage, you know, leading up to in, and during the Euros, and obviously we'll share it with some of the organis- the other organisations that we work with. So that's at colmanhadadream.com and just look for the survey tab. Uh, but we've had quite a lot of... Uh, Folks filling that in, which is it's been it's I'm starting to collate that and it's some interesting results. So we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that a bit more next week, maybe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to everyone who's who's looked at that and filled that in. Uh, Like uh, like Joy said there. Oh my God! Like Ruth said, um, (laughs) not Joy. My wife's got nothing to do with it. Um, Like Ruth said there. There is a link on the website. I've I've shared a link a couple of times this week, and I will share that again as well. So we'd be very grateful for anyone who'd fill that in. And thank you again to everyone who has. Um, Thank you for your time, Ruth. As always.
1: You're welcome. Uh, interest, an interesting, uh, interesting week yet again, and I, I suspect we'll have uh, another interesting week next week when we actually can talk about the World Cup qualifying group. Which
0: exactly. Will be good. Uh, it's <laughs> it's never dull, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for listening, uh, and we will speak to you soon. Goodbye.
1: Bye bye.